Good day, Flyer fans. It is Monday, January 11th, and I thank you for coming back to another episode of Talking Out Loud. Before I get into the episode, I want to let you guys know what we're doing tonight. Talking about the Davidson game with clear heads, I have Bobby Worley joining the show tonight to talk some Flyers hoops. Before we turn the page and take a look at the Duquesne game coming up on Wednesday. Right before we get into the episode, I wanted to remind you that this episode is brought to you by our friend and former alumni, Sean Finn, and former Dayton basketball manager, Dan Helm, who are starting Clear Mortgage Ohio. Sean's had a successful mortgage business in KC over the years, and he is passing those services on to our Flyer community in Ohio. So Sean wanted me to remind you that rates are historically low. Money is cheap. And if you're looking to purchase a home or refinance, the time is now. You can contact Sean Finn at Sean at ClearOH.com or visit the website ClearOH.com. And they can close your loan fast. Most banks are taking two months. They can do it in three weeks. Whether you're refinancing, lowering your payments, consolidating debt, Maybe you want to get the loan calculator out and check it out. You know, what you can get on a rate with a new home. Any of these things appeal to you, give Sean a call. He can help you out again. Sean at clearoh.com. And he is our friend bringing you the episode that starts right now. Go to Hall. Somebody get a shot up at the buzzer. It's This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast in the Atlantic 10 and among Dayton Flyers basketball fans everywhere. The only podcast on the internet consistently reminding you to wear red and be loud. Hey, and welcome back. Welcome, welcome. It is Talking Out Loud. I'm your host, Sully, and I'm delighted that you've joined us on a Monday morning. Maybe it's Monday morning, maybe it's the afternoon. We're recording on Sunday, January 10th, and we're releasing to you bright and early, Monday morning, the 11th. Absolutely great to have you on the show tonight. Um, we're going to be talking Flyers Hoops, as we always do, and to do it, uh, Bobby was on the show last year and uh, i think it was time to to make a, a recurring appearance on the podcast so without further ado i have the b-man bobby worley joining me to talk some flyers hoops this afternoon bobby what's going on man how's uh how's, how's life been we, we haven't heard from you in, in what about a year now you've been on the show so how's it been yeah it's uh it's been good just working from home living in quarantine uh down here in chicago so basically doing what everyone else is doing it sounds like <laughs> that's life these days man it's uh not a whole lot of uniqueness that uh that goes around the world um when i talk to people i feel like you know we, we get people on the radio show and it's like oh you know how, how you been doing and everyone's answer has pretty much always been like well you know uh 2020 just kind of treated me the same as everybody else and uh so hey, it's fine you know sometimes there's not a lot of variance in life i, I can handle that it's fine right right 
But we uh, we are on here to talk about uh, the Dayton Flyers, our Dayton Flyers, and uh, most recently their OT win at Davidson, 89-78. Flyers are victorious. Didn't get on the microphone until Sunday because, again, Flyers, I think it's best when we clear our heads. Now, I realize that the rapid reactions are getting the highest listener numbers of any of the shows that we're doing. And so I get it. You want to hear me rant and go off on the microphone. Apparently, that's what makes good radio for this show. Okay. But for today, you know, I wanted to clear my head, just, you know, see where I was at with the season. And, uh, and I think Bobby had to do the same thing. But, you know, the Flyers lose to Fordham and then they get a bounce back win at Davidson. First things first, Bobby, you played at Davidson. You've played a couple of variations of some very good Wildcats teams. Um, and Ryan was on the show last week and said, you're always going to get a good game from Davidson. What is different? Like what, what makes the game just a little bit tougher against Davidson? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think, well, first of all, they're just very, you know, very well coached. Um, Bob McKillop is you know, in the business and, you know, every single time you go in there, it just seems like they're always prepared for, you know, whatever you're going to throw at them. And, um, you know, it's a little different this year without the fans. Cause you know, usually they have like their student section right behind the rim and there's just like some very rowdy, you know, guys that seem like they're always in the front row there. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're just always prepared and it, it feels like you always get their best whenever you come in there. Yeah. I, I always feel the same way. Um, but here's the other thing now too. Um, you you brought up a good point. Like it, it, you're always going to get a good game when you go to Davidson. But the Flyers now, since Davidson's joined the conference, do you have any idea what their record is against Davidson? God, I have no idea. So in eight games, Flyers are six and two, and one of those losses was the A10 tournament loss in 2017 on that Friday afternoon. Yeah. So in the regular season, Dayton's won six out of seven against Davidson. It really wouldn't feel that way, does it? No, no, it wouldn't. Yeah, I, I was I was actually really surprised to learn that um, that, you know, for whatever reason, Dayton's kind of had Davidson's number like, you know, like you said, we're going to get a good game. It's going to be close, it's going to be tight. They're going to play, you know, very sound fundamentally. But at the end of the day, you know, Dayton's figured out a way to do it um, with obviously that one horrific loss, uh, you know, kind of withstanding. But um so, so let's jump into it a little bit, man. I know you watched the whole game on Friday night. Um, I certainly have my thoughts about what went down it, but I, I really did think it was probably one of the more complete games that the Flyers have played this year. Um, you know, what stood out to you right off the top? Um, well, I mean, first of all, they, they were just making shots. I mean, you know, when you have yeah. Eden being able to make, you know, threes with a hand in his face, uh, you know, at a pretty high clip, that that definitely helps helps your your team, but. I mean, overall, it just looked like it was a completely different offense. I mean, the guys were moving better. Like, they were, they were playing with, like, a purpose, you know, on the offensive end. Um, I thought that, you know, Elijah Weaver played really well in the first few minutes, coming off ball screens, kind of getting people involved. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just being able to knock down shots between E.B. and Jalen and, you know, other guys getting involved in the mix um, just looked very different compared to the team that we've seen, you know, the last few weeks. Yeah, and they got after the boards too, which was which sure. was nice to see. Um, you know, out rebounded them on the defensive side. You know, got our ass kicked on the offensive side. But um, I, I actually did have hats off to Anthony Grant for the offensive rebounding um, aspect of the game. And and for listeners, what I mean by that, you know, there were people on Twitter, and you know, I try not to give them too much credence that were like, oh, you know, why aren't the Flyers like you know crashing the offensive boards and. Um, I honestly said hats off to Anthony Grant for changing the game plan because in the first few games, 
you know, we were getting beat on the offensive boards regardless. And against Davidson, he finally was like, F it. Just put up your shot. Everybody turn around and get back on defense. And I like to call that the Chris Mooney special because Richmond's been doing that for years. Um, But I mean, maybe you have a different perspective on this than I do. But with the team that we have and we're not good down low, you know, there's not a whole lot of front court in this team. So I thought it was a really good move by Anthony Grant to say, you know what, we're not going to prioritize the offensive boards anymore. And it worked out, you know, get your shot, get back on defense. This team doesn't really run the fast break anyway. Um, So what do you make of that? I mean, have you run into things like that in your career where it's just like, all right, guys, we don't have the stones to like go up against the offensive board. So F it, like we're not going to do any of that. No, I wouldn't say that like I really ever, I mean, every coach that I've ever had has always really gotten on me about crashing the offensive glass. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I can't really speak too much of that, but, um, you know, this is a completely different team. So, you know, like you said, we haven't really rebounded the ball very well here at the beginning of the season. So if that's kind of the, you know, the game plan moving forward, I mean, it, it seemed like it worked out the other night. So, you know, why, why move away from it? Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, the Flyers, I think, um, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but I think we've seen enough from them. We got, we're nine games in. I believe that this team is going to be at their best when they're playing up tempo, when they're taking the first available shot as opposed to the perfect shot and they're playing smaller lineups. What say you? Um, you know, I, I mean, I think that that is definitely an option that they can play with, you know, a few times, you know, for, for some periods throughout the game. Um, you know, I think that there there is benefits to having like Jordy down in the post. I, I kind of wish that they would give him some more looks down on the block. Just, um, you know, just to kind of, switch things up on, on defenses. You know, I feel like he really spends the majority of his time away from the, the rim setting ball screens and guys don't really give him enough, you know, attention down on the block. And I think that that just creates more offense for us, you know, playing into out. Um, but, uh, you know, if we can find a way to make that smaller lineup work and, you know, have guys just run and gun, great. But I think, you know, like we've got guys playing some pretty high minutes right now, so I don't know how kind of effective that's going to be for long periods. Yeah. And uh, so that that brings us to another good point. And uh, one of the reasons specifically why I wanted to get you on here today was kind of to talk about, you know, when when guys get minutes like that. Right. Because um, when you broke into the fold, what was that in 2015 and you guys were playing that seven man rotation, um, it kind of looked for a while like this season was headed in that direction. You know, we're only going to play like six, seven guys. Um, How does that kind of change the season? Because I don't think it's as dire as as that 2015 year where you guys literally had nobody else. But I mean, you're seeing it now. We're pretty much going to rely on seven guys in the rotation. And when Rodney Chapman gets back, it's eight. But um, I don't know. Like, is that something that is going to be the Flyers' advantage? Is it going to be a detriment because they're you know the legs are going to come out from under them in February? I mean, what challenges did that present for you guys coming down the stretch? Well, you know. First, first of all, I think like it really presents a challenge for the training staff for like Mike Mulcahy, like he, you know, a miracle worker when it comes to stuff like that. And I was even joking with some of my buddies the other night because like, you know, they'd seen timeouts like he'd run over and hand guys these bottles of Gatorade and they had like tape on top of them. And I knew like those are special Gatorades that have like extra electrolytes in them that he's just trying to pump into these guys so that they don't start cramping up and stuff. So you know, <laughs> I really, didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah. a good little tidbit from behind the, uh, the looking glass there, Bobby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, I feel like for, for us, you know, back then it was a little different because um, it wasn't like the full season really, but I mean, we're talking about completely different players too. I mean, Kyle Davis isn't the same as, 
you know, E.B. Watson. So, you know, I don't really know what those guys, you know, how those guys are feeling about it. Um, yeah. I feel like over the over the course of the season, you know, the endurance picks up a little bit because you play so many minutes through, kind of throughout the year. But, you know, it definitely takes a toll when you get down in the, you know, February and March. Yeah, I was going to say, like, how is how is the stretch run a little bit different? Like, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. This season's just that much different for all the reasons that we've talked about like a million times over. Um, but <clears throat> even so, I mean, you can speak to it in December and January. Basketball is just a little bit different than it is in February when you're playing twice a week um, and, you know, you don't really have a whole lot of time to reset. And by the time a game's over next morning, you're looking at film for the next game. You know, you only have about two or three day turnaround. Um, does the mindset change? Does the preparation change? Um, or is it kind of just business as usual and, and you just handle what's in front of you? I mean, like, I guess for fans, we don't get to, to be behind the glass and see what goes on, but it, it always feels like the stretch run in February is just a little bit different because it's a little bit more intense, right? For sure. But I, I, you know, another kind of big part of that, I think is that uh, kind of what you have going on off the court too, you know, and between, you know, December, and January, when you're on break, you don't have to worry about classes and all that stuff. So it's, you know, you're, you're on campus, it's your basketball hundred percent of the time. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you've got extra time, to be able to get into the training room and to be able to get into the gym and get extra shots up and stuff like that. So, um, you know, not being able to really have that like freedom in February and March, um, definitely, you know, adds a whole other aspect to it. Well, yeah. And that's, that's exactly my point is just like, you know, when, when you are in, and we're coming up on the same thing right now, uh, students are coming back to school here. And I think in the next week, um, maybe 10 days, and there's like a phased move in going on at UD for all those people that if you're listening right now, and you're not that plugged into campus, uh, they're doing like a phased move in. Um, so all the kids don't flood campus all at the same time. And then by the third week of January, all the students are going to be back. So you're right, you know, you have classes to contend with. Um, and this year, you know, obviously, there's another whole host of problems you have to worry about. Um, Dayton hasn't been caught by the COVID bug yet, but I don't know. It, it just seems inevitable that we're going to have some kind of COVID outbreak before the season ends. Um, and St. Louis is one of the programs that has yet to play an A-10 game because they just, you know, it's positive test after positive test. They take a couple of days and they're negative and then another one comes up again. And even this week, uh, this past weekend for Flyer fans that aren't tuned in, uh, George Washington was supposed to play Bonaventure. They had a positive test in their program, and so they were on a pause. And that's relevant to Dayton because next weekend on Sunday, UD's playing George Washington. So there might be a cancellation that has nothing to do with Dayton. And again, these things are kind of out of our control. Um, before I turn the page and talk about some some things about the team and, and kind of where this season is headed, um, yeah, we have to talk about the the ten pound uh, ten pound the hundred. 50 pound, you know, uh, I was going to call it elephant in the room, but I keep saying pounds that aren't um, equated to <laughs> elephants. I, so, I'm sorry, listeners. I'm sorry. Okay. There's an elephant in the room and the elephant in the room is the last play that Anthony Grant drew up or lack thereof um, coming down the stretch. So he, here's how I want to preface this for, for listeners um, because the, the Twitter sphere, the Dayton Twitter sphere was red hot and, and rightfully so. I'm going to always come on this program and be, honest. I'm going to tell it like it is. And that's the way that this show has been successful for years now. You know, I come on and I say, all right, we like this. We didn't like this. Turn the page. Let's try and win the next game. Earlier in the season, I said, you know, Crutcher's got to be doing more these losses. I'm putting them on his shoulders. He's the senior leader. 
You know, Crutcher turned it around. Now, you know, had a career high against Davidson, 29 points. You're seeing how good this team can be when Crutcher's at his best, when he's at his most aggressive. Um, Ibby Watson, same thing. This team can't win without Ibby making shots. So if you go through a game like Fordham where Ibby's only putting up like five shots, that's just unacceptable. Okay. And it's not trashing our guys. It's not, um, you know, being anything other than telling it like it is, you know. When Crutcher's at his best is when he's aggressive. And when he's aggressive and at his best, the Flyers have the best chance of winning. In that same breath, you know, we, you know, Anthony Grant is is our alumni, you know, his alumni of UD rather. He's our guy. That's our coach. He gives us the best chance to have the Dayton brand that we always want, right? Keeping everything in house, um, you know, and I always say that it's so important that Anthony is one of us, you know, he's a flyer. And so I always think that, the long-term health of the program, if you want to try and find the best guy for this job, it's Anthony Grant. I have really um, no questions about that. But what I have questions about with AG is his end-of-game management, and, and it's nothing new. I mean, he had these problems at VCU, he had them at Alabama, and now they're showing themselves again You know, for this Dayton team. And with all that in mind, I think you're starting to see how many problems Obi did kind of Obi and, and, you know, Ryan, Mike, Sella and Trey, how many problems they kind of covered up with Anthony's end game management because they had guys with high basketball IQs that pretty much always knew where they needed to be and what they needed to do. Now, on Friday, you know, it showed its ugly head again. I mean, it was an absolute just I mean, it was a debacle. It was, it was a coaching mistake. It was a blunder. And he got called out for it, you know, by just about everybody. And rightfully so. You know, he's the guy that makes the big bucks. He's in charge of winning, losing. You know, he's the face of the program. And, and you know, he's a grown man. He's not a college kid. He he can handle this kind of criticism from guys like me behind a microphone. You know, I'm one man's opinion. But my opinion, and it's not really a controversial opinion, is that when you're down three and you have one foul to give, you absolutely have to give that foul. You, you have to foul somewhere, somehow in that last sequence. And what you absolutely cannot do is allow the best three-point shooter on Davidson to get off a look. Bobby, have I said anything in these last two minutes here that is wholly objectionable? And do you feel like I am trashing the coach of the Dayton Flyers? <laughs> No, I, you know, I don't think you're, you're trashing him, um, and I don't think you're just trying to be fair here, all right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I will say, like, I did. So I went back and watched the game last night, and um, right before that play happened, you know, there was a shot of kind of our huddle, and you can actually see Anthony Grant like mouth to to the team, like we have a foul to give. So like he he yeah. was fully aware of the situation. He like he knew what was going on. Um, now, like I, you know, I'm I'm thinking back to any games that we were in. When I was there, you know, where we were in those situations, not that I was usually ever in the game, you know, <laughs> but, um, but our self-deprecating is, is just, it just shows your humility, Bobby. It really <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, our talk tracks in the, in the huddles were always like, you know, if, if you can get a foul in before he gets to like the coach's hash, then, then do it. But once you get past that point, especially with a guy like, um, like Grady, you know, you kind of run the risk of him, who's, you know, a, a savvy player, being able to, like, throw up a shot as you're about to follow him. Um, so, you know, I think that, that might have come into play, especially when he switched on to uh, Zimmy. You know, maybe you don't want a freshman trying to make that decision of, like, do I follow him, you know, with nine seconds left as he's, like, at the three-point line and could potentially get a shot up, and then I follow him, and then we lose the sure. game by one he goes in. So there is kind of a, you know, a discussion to be had there, I think, but... Um, 
you know, I think a lot of people are going to have different, you know, opinions on that and think that it's a following situation. Uh, I think it could really go either way. Um, and I mean, the kid made a tough shot. Zimmy was right there. You know, he had his hand in his face. It was a great yeah. shot. You know, there's there's really not too much that you can do about it at that time. Um, but yeah. Yeah, and I'm glad that you uh, you brought that up because I had not rewatched the game. Um, when we win thrillers like that, you know, I've, I've seen it all. I don't need to go back and relive it. My blood pressure was high enough just watching that game. Um, but, you know, it, it has happened a couple of times this year, and it, it happened in another game um, earlier in the year. I want to say it was Mississippi State, maybe. They didn't have a foul to give, but I believe there was a similar situation. Um, and, and you're right, like, I... I'd be extremely naive to sit here and be like, Anthony Grant didn't know the situation. Like he knew the situation. Yeah. He knew there was a foul to give. Yeah. Just the execution was not there. And whether or not he knew the situation or not, and I think let's let's say, let's all agree here that he knew what the situation was. Um you have to you have to get your guys to execute there. And um even in that play, I've watched the exact play a couple of times. And there were like three or four different opportunities where they could have got a hand in, you know, reached in, done something. Um, and that was really where my my qualms were with the whole situation, because, you know, you just you have to instruct your guys that if there's ever like a lull or he's um, coming back from the basket or in this particular scenario, Grady did like a jab step inside the arc and then step back out. And the minute he makes that jab step, you know, that's a perfect opportunity to foul. There was like five seconds left. Then Davidson would have to inbound the ball again. And then, you know, you're probably in a really good position to just win that game outright in regulation. Um, so, you know, we it's a long way of saying I, I think that AG deserves some scorn because he, he didn't handle that situation properly, right? Right. Or, or maybe I guess you know, I, getting yeah. a little bit more granular. He, he, he just didn't have he didn't have the guys execute what really should have been done there. And I think that people got really bothered by it because it was such a black and white situation, right? right. Well, yeah, and I, you know, I think that will definitely be something that like him and the coaching staff will go back and watch the film and kind of like analyze real closely and think like, okay, like how could we have done this a little bit better? Um, yeah. One thing I guess in that um, with that play that I was kind of surprised on is like, if you look at it, I think Zimmy and Ibby, I think we're in the front court with Jalen. Um, Davidson started in kind of like a three front, you know, um, and yeah. Zimmy and Ibby were up kind of on their guys and Jalen was kind of, you know, back off of Grady. So, and I kind of thought that he should have gotten up on him a little bit and tried to, you know, turn him once or twice and then maybe get a follow in before he gets, you know, too close to the rim, get it down to that like nine second mark, you know, and then try to push their, their catch a little bit farther out. And then you have a little bit, you know, less time to work with. Um, but yeah, it's, it, you know, it's a learning situation. Hopefully they, they, um, you know, if they ever find themselves in that situation again, we'll, um, you know, play it out a little bit better, but we won the game. You know, that's kind of the, the, the thing to remember. So, <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I think I said this to a couple of people. I was like, all right, we won. It's chill. Like, I'm not going to like argue about this anymore, you know? And, um, yeah. David Jablonski at Dayton daily news was even like getting perturbed with people because, you know, Dayton Twitter was sounding off on Friday. Night. They're like, Anthony should have done this. Anthony should have done that. And Jablo was like, all right, guys, I'm only going to allow 50 tweets on this. And then I'm <laughs> shutting this thread down altogether. And I'm like, yep, that is emblematic of the entire fan base. Like we needed something to bitch about, but you know, we still did win the game. So um, yeah. it was, it was great win. Um, and it, 
you, you had the tweet of the night uh, with Elmo coming back from the dead. Um, you, know, you lose to Fordham and then you win at Davidson. Like, man, that's like been the story of the season, right? It's like when you think they're down and out, um, they're right back in it again, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, I think that's going to be my thing moving forward here is I'm just going to tweet out like just a random little gif or something after a game just to... <laughs> <laughs> a man a few yeah. words, yeah. I don't want to give too much insight because I think like a couple of years ago I tweeted something. I got a little bit of blowback from from some of the fan base, so I'm trying to avoid that moving forward. So Ugh, that's how I live my life, man. Believe me, just just lean yeah. into it, Bobby. That's the best yeah. advice I could give you. Lean into it. You know, yeah. I, I guess I don't want to be looked at as the guy who like shits on the program all the time. It's like, uh, you know, keep it. <laughs> what are you saying up. about me? All right, what are you saying? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to put anything on you, Sully. You're doing a great job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's what I get um, almost daily now. Is that like, you know, I just can't even believe that you're crapping on the program left and right, and it's just like how I started this discussion. It's like t- telling it like it is now has turned into why are you always trashing the program? And it's like I'm not trashing the program. It's it's like Anthony made a bad decision, and then we won the game. Like both things are true. Both things are always going to be true. It's. Um, I don't know. I, I found that it's a it's a fine line to play both sides. Um, but you're right. Like, you know, our fan base has always been that way where people um, I, I don't know. We always say they're the rose colored glasses, um, but it, it really is true. I mean, we kind of have this fan base that really likes being optimistic and it's, you know, support our boys no matter what. And, and you know, I do always support the guys no matter what. But at the same time, if there's things to be called out or things to improve upon, It'd be pretty boring radio if I always came on here and I was just like, yeah, go Flyers. We're great at everything. We don't turn the ball over. What are you talking about? You know, it's like there, there is just that that fine line to toe. Um, but like we said, we get to turn the page now. Flyers take it on uh, Duquesne coming up here on Wednesday night. They're now two and two in the conference. Um, you know, can't quite figure out their conference record, right? You got wins at George Mason or home George Mason at Davidson. And then you got losses at LaSalle and Fordham. Um, Bobby, you've taken a loss to LaSalle though, right? You were on one of those teams because Archie yeah. never beat LaSalle. He could never beat him. What, what was it? Was it that like Archie, um, or rather Dr. John just like had Archie's number? Like, what was it about LaSalle? He never got over the hump with them. Yeah. You know, and I wish that I had an answer for you. And I have no idea why. Like I, I remember that game going to their place and losing, um, you know, and it just puts a sour taste in your mouth because you come away and you're like, we should not have lost that game, you know, but yeah. uh, I, I couldn't tell you it, what it what it was, whether it was maybe it was the gym. I don't know. But, you know, um, yeah. I don't know. Did we ever lose to them at, at home? I, I don't think we did. LaSalle at home. Yeah, uh, I don't think so. Uh, yeah. So it was LaSalle away in 2016, lost to him and then. Uh, oh, that was back to back years. Fifteen and sixteen, lost to LaSalle on the road. And then, also, like, uh, an, another thing about playing there is that they're an Under Armour school, and like this is probably like the smallest little detail, but like when you go in, there and they have like the Under Armour balls that are just completely different than like the Nike ones that we're used to. It's like, oh really? Little, oh yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if it was just me, but I could like that was a, a little detail that always kind of screwed me up a little bit. <laughs> you know, I could see that being something that would kind of mess me up a little bit too, because you guys play with like the same basketball every single day, right? Yeah, yeah. And there aren't too many schools who are like Under Armour schools, so it's. And we used to like buy the balls, like they used to buy like Under Armour balls like a week before, you know. So we'd have them like practice with, and it would still be, you know, difficult to adjust to. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then Ryan last week talked about just like how hard it is to play there because it's like it's quiet. And um, I've had referees before that have told me that they hate refereeing there because the floor tends to get slippery because there's like condensation on the floor. Um, did you ever get that when you guys played there? Yeah, I mean, so like I never really I don't remember ever running into that problem where the floor was like super slippery, but it is just like a very strange place to play. Um, you know, I remember like taking an elevator ride up before the game from the uh, from the locker rooms down in the basement and being like in the elevator with uh, like Steve Zach, who I was going to be guarding that night. It was a super awkward like <laughs> moment. We like got out of the elevator. It was like, oh, good luck tonight. Like, you know, just the weirdest thing. And then your, your halftime is like off to the side by the concession stands. And it's just it's very different compared to any other place that you play kind of in the A-10. So, yeah. Did you uh, did you have like a favorite place to play in the A10? Because I mean, you uh, you probably saw all the gyms. So yeah, was there like one place you really did enjoy playing? Hmm. That's where I enjoyed playing. Well, I had some friends that went to SLU, so like it was always kind of fun going to play there because yeah. they would usually like get into the student section and try to rile me up. Even when I was like a walk on on the very end of the bench, I'd have people tripping me. But <laughs> um, you know, outside of that, uh, I'm trying to think. VCU is like always kind of fun because I mean, for as much as people, you know, give them shit about that, you know, stadium and stuff, like it was always it's a crazy environment, and um, those games were always really entertaining. But I can't say that I had like one that was like, oh, like I'm, I'm really looking forward to going to play here, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I asked that because, um, you know, I don't know if you know this or you know, fans know this, but I feel like a lot of people in our conference enjoy coming to UD Arena and playing, and um, yeah. The, the story I always share from when I was a kid was about Xavier and uh, and David West, who uh, who torched Dayton back in the day. Like he was always good for like 30 points. And, you know, he was a 10 player of the year two times. Like, he, you know, he was one of, you know, for new listeners that maybe didn't follow the program back then. David West, who got a ring with the Warriors uh, later on in life, he was one of the a 10s best players ever. And I always share the story about. Um, when he used to come to UD Arena and they drive up 75, he loved it because he had all like some of his best games in his career he had at UD Arena. So he would sit in the back of the bus and he would hum the fight song as he tapped on the seat in front of him. And he would literally hum the fight song for UD all the way up 75 until they got into Dayton. And I, I remember I was at like a work conference a couple of years ago when a, a guy who had played at Xavier told me that story and I like got legitimately angry. I was just like, God, I hate that guy. And now I hate him even more, you know? And um, so that, that was why I asked is that like, I feel like in our conference now, um, you know, people really do enjoy coming to play at UD arena, but you're right. Um, VCU and SLU are great because for people that have never been there before, the fans are, are on top of you and there really is not a bad seat in either of those arenas, you know, like they don't go back that far. And so it's, it just kind of feels like, you know, you're surrounded. Um, so anyways, turning the page from that, um, you know, I, I had to give you some trivia tonight before we get into the, uh, talking about Duquesne cause Duquesne's coming up on Wednesday. I promised Bobby that, uh, that I'd give him some trivia. So hit the music. Let's do some trivia. All right, Bobby. So you know that uh, maybe you don't know. Dayton joined the A-10 conference in 1995. Duquesne is a founding member of the A-10 conference, so they've been around since the late 70s when the conference was formed. So my question to you, Bobby, is a tough one. How many times has Dayton lost to Duquesne since they joined the conference in 1995? And I will say this, okay? 
Dayton's got a pretty good record against Duquesne, and there was a very long time there where they played them twice. Um, you know, they they've played them twice for years and years and years, and we rarely play them just the one time. So you're talking about a sample set that's around 50-ish games. Okay, so there you go. 50-ish games. Um, I would a little bit left. Like, like 17. A little high. Actually, Dayton has lost to Duquesne 11 times since joining the oh. conference. And, uh, and littered with L's. So the Flyers have won uh, 9 out of the last 10 versus Duquesne. Um, so historically, we've done pretty well. The Flyers have only lost to Duquesne twice in the last eight years, like since I graduated in 2012. Uh, they've only lost to him twice. Um, and, and Duquesne's a team on the up and up. But my question to you, Bobby, is we, you know, we kind of touched on this a little bit. Like, you know, you lose to Fordham and then you bounce back and you beat Davidson. Where do you go from here? Um, you know, what, what do you see? Like, where, where does this Flyers team go from here, you know, the rest of the season? Um, man, you know, I think you just take it one game at a time. I mean, an at-large bid is going to be, like, very difficult, you know, at this point. So, yeah, I think that's out of the question after you lose to Fordham, you know. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think it's about um, just, you know, like I said, taking it one game at a time, trying to, you know, get the best of each team every night and, you know, hopefully make a run in the A-10 tournament. Um, but also, you know, at the same time, try to get some experience for the young guys. I mean, we have some pretty – some pretty uh, talented freshmen, um, you know, and some good, you know, uh, underclassmen. So, um, you know, if, if they can learn as much as they possibly can from Jalen and, you know, AB um, for the rest of the season here, you know, I think it would be a win going into next year. Yeah, I asked this question to uh, to Ryan and Dukes last week on the show, but what, what does the recipe for success look like for this Dayton team? For me, I said that I think if, if they keep things status quo and all they do is clean up the turnovers, they're probably still going to end up winning like 13 games in conference. What do you think? Like what's the, what's the recipe for success for this team to say, go 13 and five, 14 and four, whatever. Yeah. I mean, um, obviously, you know, the, the turnovers are a big problem. <laughs> you yeah. can't win too many games when you're turning the ball over like 20 to 25 times a game. So um, just, you know, if you can eliminate those, those errors right there, you're going to put yourself in a better situation to win some of these close games. Um, you know, I think on the, on the offensive side, you're going to depend a lot on, on Jalen and maybe, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, I was, I think, like I mentioned earlier, I was, I was excited to see, J- um, Elijah Weaver play pretty well the other night. I think that he's going to be, you know, a good guy kind of running the offense, um, while Chapman's out. Um, I think that he sees the floor very well off of coming off of ball screens and being able to, you know, find open shooters in the corners or hit, you know, uh, Jordy. Um, so, you know, hopefully look to him to kind of run the offense for a little bit and, uh, you know, hopefully grab a couple wins here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's, um, there's still some time, like what I really enjoyed about this early part of the schedule, like didn't really foresee us losing to LaSalle and Fordham, but there's a lot of games here to kind of get right. Like Duquesne is, um, they're, they're an okay team. I'd say they're pretty much like a 10 average, right? I think Dayton should beat Duquesne on Wednesday. But again, when you lose to LaSalle and Fordham, you can lose to anyone in the conference. And then they get GW back to back on Sunday and Wednesday. So you got three games here to kind of get the ship right. And then you go VCU, St. Louis, Rhode Island. And, you know, the rubber kind of meets the road in those three games, right? Like we're going to figure out 
if this team has fight in them in those three games, you know, and if they're going to be capable of beating anyone in the A-10 because they're capable of losing to anyone in the A-10. Um, but, and, you know, I think that Anthony's kind of gotten a, a sense of urgency now, you know, when you get slipped up to, to teams like LaSalle and Fordham, the urgency just picks up a little bit more and you kind of realize that, hey, any game can get away from you. Um, I, I don't, I guess this is one question I was wondering, and maybe you have an answer, maybe you don't, but the Flyers now have played every single game in single digits. Um, well, I guess you know the Davidson game was an eleven point win, but it still went to overtime, so the sentiment still stands. Like, what is it about this team where they just end up in close games every single night? Why do you think that is? I mean, I guess it has to do with the turnovers, but do you think there's any other like underlying reason? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I can't hold a lead, so you know, there's that. Right. Yeah, I mean, turnovers, rebounding. I mean, we've actually shot free throws pretty well. So, like, you know, expecting those close games to be able to knock down free throws down the stretch, you know, that kind of helps. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, especially with, like, an experienced team kind of like we have right now uh, with, with Jalen and Eby and some of those older guys, like, I would expect them to kind of be able to manage games a little bit better down the stretch. But, you know, I guess on the other side of that, we do have a lot of really young guys you know, as well, who, you know, having three underclassmen in with those guys at the end of the game can kind of prevent, prevent some challenges. Um, but yeah. Certainly that, that knife cuts both ways. Yeah. I completely agree with you. Um, I was listening to, uh, to flyer feedback and, um, and I'm happy to promote flyer feedback on this show. Cause it's a, you know, it's a two radio, uh, show town now, you know, we got talking out loud and we got flyer feedback. All right. So I don't feel the need to, you know, throw shots or whatever. We're, we're in a nice, healthy competition in the land of Dayton, Ohio. But on flyer feedback after the Fordham game, uh, they always go to Anthony Grant's post game with Larry. And you could tell that he was like, you know, the players need to understand what it means to wear Dayton across your chest. And Anthony is never going to be a guy that throws his players under the bus. He never really speaks ill of the team. You know, he's a professional guy. He's well-spoken, always knows exactly what line to toe, and he always takes responsibility for his team, right? So it got me thinking, Bobby, and this is this is when you go back to your days. I'm sure that he really laid into the team when he got into the locker room about losing to Fordham. Do you remember uh, in your playing days when Archie Miller was the maddest when he came into the locker room? Or, like, does one game stand out where you're like, he was absolutely fuming that night? A lot of the times with him, like it wasn't so much that he was super, super mad after the games. It was usually the next day when we'd watch film. <laughs> that's, that's so archy, man. <laughs> you care for the next like hour? Like, you know, if I can just sit in the corner and hopefully like he won't say anything about me, then, <laughs> you know, um, that would be great. But uh, yeah, I mean, Archie was always one too, though, to like take the blame for everything. Like his press conferences were always like, you know, I take 100% responsibility, blah, blah, blah. Even like yeah. in some I'd say it really wasn't his fault. But um, and I guess like I don't really listen to all of these these post game, con- you know, conferences with Grant and everything. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't think that I, th- I don't think that he's wrong for, for kind of putting that like, you know, players need to understand, you know, the name that they're wearing across their chest. But uh you know, they, um, I think, you know, for the younger guys, they'll learn that throughout the season here that it's, it's a little different right now, not having the fans because they don't kind of get the emotion from the fans when stuff like that happens, but hopefully, you know, pick it up a little bit. Yeah. You know, that's probably worth drilling into at least a little bit for people. Like when you're on the floor and I know that you don't have obviously the perspective of playing in an empty arena, like these guys do, but what, like, what does the fan 
presence give you as a player on the floor? Because it, I mean, it seems like it's tangible, right? Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's huge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember like one of the very first games that I got in. I think I like, you know, it was the last like two minutes, and I like dove for a ball or something, and the crowd just like went fucking crazy. <laughs> and, and I got people up. in Dayton oh, love yeah. nothing more than hustle plays, man. <laughs> yeah, I was, like, I got up, and I was like, that didn't even hurt. Like, I can get up and run, you know, back down the floor. Like, you know, it, there's something about it that just kind of fuels you to 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 get up when you hit the floor hard and you know stuff like that. So. Yeah, um, it, it is. It is very important. So I, I can't imagine what it's like for these guys playing in these empty gyms. Like it's got to be so weird. Yeah. Um, you know, I think back to like some of the the like exhibition games we used to play in the preseason and how kind of like competitive those were, but also like a little strange at the time. Um, just yeah. being in like a tiny gym with nobody there. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're playing like Illinois or Purdue or something. It feels like it's a bigger moment than you know. There's there's nobody there to watch it or to like cheer it on or anything. So it's gotta be strange for these kids. Yeah. And I just think about like you, you probably would have heard Archie a, a lot more loud and clear if uh, UD arena was empty in those days. Right. <laughs> I think it, Archie probably would have had to watch his language. I don't know. <laughs> I, was laughing the other day. I was watching the, the Indiana game or one of the Indiana games. And uh, I remember like he always used to like after the game, he would have no voice. Like he'd come in he'd have the super raspy voice. And now it's like, I wonder if he still has that problem. <laughs> like, yeah. That much where he, you know, he comes in and, uh, you know, loses his voice or something. But yeah, that's interesting from his, his uh, side of it now. Yeah. The, the reason I asked that question too is uh, Kyle Davis came on, like, I guess this would have been about a year ago now. And I asked him, like, you know, do you remember the time that Archie was like the maddest at you? And he brought up the Thanksgiving game against Nebraska. And um, it was one of my favorite stories I ever had on the podcast because he said he was just MFing everybody. And he was like, all these people have been kissing your ass and you guys just lost in Nebraska. Like, you know, the fans can't help you win games and whatnot. So yeah. now that the dust is, is settled, you know, years have gone by. I always love to hear those kind of behind the scenes Archie stories because like anyone that's ever seen him, met him, knows that the man just cares about basketball and winning basketball games. And, you know, he gets fired up. So that was why I, I kind of was curious if you had one that stood out to you specifically as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, God, there was probably more than one. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I can't remember the exact game, but I remember – one game coming out of a, you know, we were going into a timeout and he like met me like steps before we got to the huddle. And he was like an inch away from me, you know, just like up in my face. And I'm just trying to like look over him and not like, you know, look him in the eyes or anything. Cause I thought he was going to kill me. <laughs> I, and I can't remember what it was about. It's probably cause like, I didn't like jump a ball screen or something, you know, but uh, yeah, he, he, uh, he could lose it pretty quick. Um, but you, you know, we all were just kind of used to it, you know, and you kind of learn to just like take it and, and move on to the next play. And um, I know for, for, you know, for sure that like whatever he was yelling at me about that day, like I probably didn't make the same mistake again after it. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Got got up in your ass about it uh, just to, to make sure that was a one-time mistake. Yeah. Um, finish it up with Bobby Worley now. Um, and thanks for sticking around all the way to the bitter end here talking out loud. This is why I like doing episodes fresh on Mondays. Um, last question for you, Bobby, because you said you, you watch Indiana and I've um, – I, I try to watch them when they're on too. Um, and, and you know, Big Ten in general is just good basketball right now. A lot of good, a lot of good characters, a lot of good teams. Um, when you watch Indiana, I, I have said this to people 
that the Archie footprint of like how the teams ran in Dayton, you could see that early on at Indiana, but I think it's really faded over time and he's kind of changed the way that he, he attacks things and goes about it. I was curious if, you know, when you watch Indiana, do you see a lot of the similar things that you guys um, were good at and the things that you guys focus on at Dayton? Or, or do you feel the same way I do that he's kind of gotten away from it now and, and has changed his style a little bit? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I watched some of them play from time to time and you can definitely pick up on like the plays that they run. It's like, oh, like I remember, you know, that was this play and like that was this play. And yeah, you know, I still remember some of those sets and things that he still runs. Um I thought like his first few years there, it was probably a little different because like you can't really coach a kid like Romeo Langford, like you're going to coach, you know, Scooch or Kyle. And that's like nothing against those guys. It's just like when you have somebody who's going to be like an NBA prospect, you can't like yell down at them kind of as much as, as he used to with us and try to like bring that out of him. And, you know, I guess like I don't really know the situation, but I would think that that would be kind of what it's like for them. Um you know, I thought that like we really kind of bought into his system and that's kind of why we were so successful, you know, I think because we had a bunch of guys who were just like, I don't care about my stats. Like we're going to go out every night and just play as hard as we can and win a game. Um, so, you know, I don't know the personalities, a lot of these guys that he has now, um, but, you know, it definitely is kind of similar to, you know, you watch and you see the same plays and um, the defensive rotations and stuff. And it's like, I remember the, I know the, the drills that they do in practice to, to work on those things. So you're saying that uh, the bones are still there, at least the skeleton of the Archie Miller teams in Dayton is is still there. Um, it's, it's certainly good to know, but like I said, I, I early on I saw a lot of similarities, and, and these days um, not so much, but I'm sure that that lens is, is a little bit different for you guys. Um, all right. Bob, that'll do it for our show tonight. Uh, always love having you on, man. Love getting your insight. Love getting your input on the season, the team. I know you're out there watching. So um, what better way to uh, to talk about it than just sit down, get in front of the microphone, and, and put a podcast episode together. Um, every episode, same rules. Uh, I let everybody get some final thoughts before we take the people out. And so the time is now, Bobby. What are the final thoughts for the UD listeners out there? Um, you know, I think I just say to everybody, like, you know, don't give up on, on these guys yet and don't give up on AG. Um, you know, I think, uh, they do have some good things cooking here and, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the schedule right now. I see VCU coming up on, uh, the 23rd and, uh, you know, it's always good to beat VCU. So, you know, <laughs> I'm hoping that they can pull one out there. So, um, you know, just kind of stay as positive as you can and some tough losses, but, uh, you know, hopefully we can uh, finish out the season strong here and, you know, who knows, maybe make a run at the A-10 tournament and uh, see where we go. Fortunately or unfortunately, that is exactly what we are playing for for the rest of the season. It is a few days in Brooklyn. Uh, but as Bobby said, this is a nice little buffer stretch here. Duquesne on Wednesday and then the uh, the home and away versus George Washington on Sunday and Wednesday before the rubber really meets the road and you're going to find out a lot about the State and Flyers team and of course I'm talking about VCU on Saturday on the road they go on the road that following Tuesday to St. Louis and they come home the following Saturday for Rhode Island so if you know we didn't understand what kind of character this team has um by now you're gonna find out during that week um that's that's really gonna you know show us a lot about this state and flyers team so that'll do it for our show tonight uh, for bobby worley i'm sully i'm gonna take you out with the stroke tonight just because i've been doing it recently so i'll change up the song every now and again but for now we're gonna take you out with the stroke you know there's two rules you wear red be loud 
and we'll catch you back here later on this week. Now everybody, have you heard? If you're in the game, then the stroke's the word. Start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big in all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. 
Save this.